Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 50th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. I am delighted to be joined today by a former striker, Don Goodman, 39 goals in 154 appearances for the club following a £1.1 million move in December 1994. Don, how are you? I'm always all right, Jason. Thank you very much. Yep, can't, can't complain. Good, good, good. Now, Don, obviously, I, I know you very well. I was looking forward to interviewing you. So you are our 50th guest, which is amazing. I never expected it to, obviously, to do this many. You, I'm going to, I'm going to cast your mind back now, Don, um, to your debut in May 1984. Uh, and I believe, you might correct me, you were still working as an electrician at Leeds City Council at the time. I was. I had to take the afternoon off work. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> to, be, yeah, to be fair, yeah, I had to ask permission to uh, to have the afternoon off work. So uh, yeah, I was seventeen. Um, Bradford City were in the middle of the, the the table in what we would now class as League One, um, that level, um, and so it was a, an opportunity for Trevor Cherry to give one or two young players a. A chance. He, the club had offered me an apprenticeship, but I had such a great apprenticeship uh, with Leeds City Council as an electrician. It paid me double what an apprentice footballer would get, and uh, so I turned it down because also I was uh, aware of the fact that only ten percent of apprentices actually go on and yeah. become professional footballers and make a living and have longevity, and those odds were just just not good enough for me to um, to sacrifice a, a job for life at Leeds City Council, really. So, yeah, so I, I, he told me I organised to have the afternoon off work. We played against Newport County. Did you get uh, paid for your afternoon off work? I can't honestly remember because it is quite some <laughs> considerable time ago. Just wondering. Um, I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. I, would imagine, I would imagine so. Um, and obviously got, got paid for... Um, for playing for Bradford as well. So double whammy, happy days. Who doesn't love well. that? Uh, yeah, so we won 2-0. Um, and what an experience it was just to make your debut um, at professional level, despite the fact that you weren't a professional. So yeah, it was. A, it's, it's a nice story. It's, um, it's one that obviously, it's where it all began really, I guess. Yes, yeah. and, and I know you come from obviously a big family. With, with your mother and father, um, you know, you've, you've got this apprenticeship. For them, I suppose they wanted to see you do a trade. Um, you know, was they supportive of you making this move into into football when you know you was working so hard as an electrician? Yeah, I mean, I'd grown up and I'd always, you know, stood out, you know, at school level and on Sunday mornings and so on and so forth. Um, but honestly, never dreamed that I'd be anywhere near good enough to mm. to be a professional footballer. And I had that attitude really, and actually, it probably stood me in good stead yep. um, because it just allowed me to enjoy my football. Play obviously playing to win trophies at whatever level that was, um, but actually just enjoying your football without the pressure of thinking that there might be a chance of you to become a professional footballer. Uh, because I know that certainly now, um, in terms of parents, in terms of the kids, hard for them to focus on the important things in life at that age, which is yeah. schoolwork, getting qualifications, and and and, and looking forward to a, a future employment. Um, 
when you're when you're already at a club and there's a chance that you can become a professional footballer, I should imagine that's hard. I didn't have to focus on any of that. Uh, I represented Leeds schoolboys. Um, didn't get in that team or that squad till the age of um, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I got there, all the other lads in that squad were with the likes of. Liverpool, Leeds United, Man United, Chelsea, yeah. all the big clubs, you know, and 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 that's why I was able to think, you know, these are all lads that are that are that are ahead of me, um, and I, you know, I didn't think that I'd be good enough wow. to be honest to to be a professional footballer. Um, but so getting back to your initial question, yes, um, the fact that I'd got a great job was a comfort to my mum yeah. and dad. Um, but I also had uh, a third voice. I played for a non-league club called Collingham. I was playing men's football at the age of fifteen. Wow! And um, good standard. It's about the ninth, ninth level uh, outside the football league. So it was a good standard. Getting battered from pillar to post, but that's another story. Um, and the manager there was a fellow called Ken Parkin, who was a huge influence um, in those formative years and throughout the early stages of my <clears throat> career in terms of contract negotiations etc etc but he was the one that had made me aware of the 10% thing as far as apprentices were you know yeah um which was huge and that that you know how easy would it be when you get offered the chance to become an apprentice footballer just to go yep that's it chuck my job in I'm doing it I think you know having that that influence around you um and your parents understanding that and everybody singing from the same song sheet made life very very easy really so um, it was the, the summer after I'd made my debut I played one of the games for Bradford in that particular season where I made my debut so the last two games I came off the bench um, and in that summer they offered me a professional contract by which time I'd turned 18 now that's a whole different ball game but I still wrote to the electricity board and I said look I've got the opportunity of a lifetime here I've got a, a offer of a two-year professional football contract but if it doesn't work out for me, can I go back and finish my apprenticeship and get back in the trade? And they wrote me a lovely letter back saying, yeah, that wouldn't be a problem as long as you can find a, a company that would um, that would take you on uh, a couple of years older than what is traditional yeah, for an yeah. apprentice. And, and, and that was comforting. And then they wished me all the best. And of course, um, I then signed on the dotted line as a as a pro and, and, and off we went well I'm glad you mentioned it Don because I've got two outside lights that need putting on <laughs> <laughs> just wondered if you could do that this afternoon it's, <laughs> it's so long ago I think the regs have changed about four times on electrical oh uh, the, the additions oh, um, Don I know your time at Bradford was, was very uh, you know it was tainted with sadness um, there was the, the sad Bradford fire disaster in 11th of May 1985 and I believe you played in that match is that right Don? No, I didn't. I was injured, actually. So, um, and it is really important to point out that yes, it was tainted with sadness, but it was tainted also with not tainted is the wrong word. It was blessed with so much happiness and so much love um, and success. And of course, um, the the biggest thing of all is the Bradford fire and and the people whose lives were affected by that. And all of us players were undoubtedly affected by that it was that we 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 all handled it in various ways but I can assure you as a young sort of 18 19 year old um, and a group of young we were a young squad with the exception of two or three senior players having to cope with such a tragedy was it's one of the hardest things that 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 you could ever have to have to go through so um, 
But we were a band of brothers. Um, we all attended a lot of funerals. Um, I heard that. I heard... Shed a lot of tears. Uh, I mean, I, I had, to, I, I got two tickets for two beautiful young ladies that didn't make their way out and sadly lost their lives. And um, to live with that, uh, it's been tough. Um, I locked myself away for a fortnight, just cried my eyes out, and then I went to all the funerals. Um, didn't do any counselling or anything like that, really. I can't actually remember it being offered, but I'm sure it would have been. Yeah. It's all a bit of a blur. Of course. And the, and the only way that I've found a way of coping with such tragedy is really to try and block it out. Obviously, I'm yeah. older and I'm wiser now, and I do think yeah. more about it. But to get through those first few years, particularly, it was... To the point where I blocked it out so well that I have to ask my my, my brothers and sisters the the events of that day. Really, yeah. I can't really yeah. remember it in a real clear way. But back to your point, I wasn't playing. I was I was a substitute. Uh, sorry, I wasn't a substitute. I was injured. Yeah. I, uh, there was a balcony where um, I watched the game from. Uh, I was due to go down on the pitch and draw the raffle at half time, and yeah. I looked to, to my left two minutes before I was about to go down. Um, to, to draw the raffle and um, there uh, there were people spilling on the pitch and it you got to remember it was a generation of hooliganism and I just thought we've just celebrated winning the league we'd won the league Jason <sighs> we'd absolutely romped the league we were a brilliant young uh, team that had blown the league away and there I was thinking we'd, we'd already I really this is really unusual we'd had the trophy presentation and been presented with our medals before the game and I do look back now and there are pictures of us as a oh, team wow. lifting the trophy in a team photo. And really that shouldn't have happened because tradition would mean we would do that after the game. And it just makes you whether whether it was meant to be that, that there are those photos of that group of lads lifting a trophy with medals. It's always been after to, the game. Every time Wolves have won the league, it's yeah. always been after the game. Yeah. So. so, yeah, back to the point, I was... They're thinking, blooming hooligans are going to spoil this for us. And of course it wasn't. They were people spilling onto the pitch to save their own lives and get away from the fire. It, you, if I tried to put into words how quickly the whole stand was up in flames, I, I, I couldn't actually, I couldn't actually oh, describe so, so what happened, mate. So, so Bradford City Football Club, it, it, it's everybody knows what they were doing on that day, where they were. Yeah. Um, it is one of the greatest tragedies in football yes. history and um, as a football club it, it, it united the community yeah. uh, and in, a, in an era where there is division or there appears to be division between different religions, different skin colours, different this, that and the other throughout the world. We were a united front, Bradford, um, supported by you know communities from like Leeds, Huddersfield and surrounding areas. It really yeah. did bring everybody together um, but it was a tragedy and it affected hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people well don thank you for sharing that with us because i know it's not particularly easy to talk about um <clears throat> aged aged 18 um once again i hope i've got my stats right here don you scored a hat trick in seven minutes in an fa cup game i mean is this true and what did you say to me off the record what were you doing for the other 83 minutes <laughs> yes yeah, come on don't you do for the other 83 <laughs> yeah. minutes what, what happened i was a sub <laughs> and i was brought on and within seven minutes, I'd scored a hat-trick. Long story short, we were playing Tolor Town in the FA Cup. Early rounds of the FA Cup. Can't remember which round. 
to be exact. And the boys were cruising. They were three nil up, and then Tow Law, um, which is where Chris Waddle started his career, actually yeah, up uh, north. Yeah, Tow Law Town. Um, they scored two goals out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it was three two, and a bit edgy and a bit nervy. And Trevor Cherry, um, uh, man who I owe my professional football career to, sadly no longer with us. Um, like so many positive influences um, in my life and in my footballing career um, threw me on and said go and nick us a goal or whatever and literally within seven minutes of being on the pitch I'd, I'd scored three and um, yeah it goes down as a one of the quicker uh, hat-tricks in, in, in football history that's amazing absolutely amazing um, coming up I don't know you actually come on a sub because I was berating you for saying what were you doing for 83 yeah, minutes you yeah. know sauntering around the pitch eh, not doing anything um, you then uh, I, I don't really want to talk about this Don but I, I suppose I'm forced into it you actually got a move to West Brom and to be honest <laughs> I think that's when you know the football world really started uh, waking up because you did score a lot of goals at West Brom didn't you and it was a good move for you and it, and it well you know the records there speak for themselves yeah it was a, it was where I became a proper player really learnt um, and again you need these influences in your in your career in your life as a human being but in your chosen profession um, and Stuart Pearson former England Manchester United striker yeah. came to the football club um and invested some time in me, a raw, uh, pacey striker that probably didn't score as many goals as he should. Uh, I think I think I'd scored fourteen in seventy games for Bradford. Um, the first season or so at West Bromwich Albion, I think I think I was probably just about nudging ten, something like that. Stuart Pearson arrives on the scene, keeps me back for. 10-15 minutes after every training session working on how best to utilise my assets which were pace and power I'm not ashamed to to say that how to time my runs to keep myself on side and then obviously the the, the end product is how to finish how mm-hmm. to you know taught me a variety of, of of finishes and worked on it and worked on it and we 10-15 minutes every day for a couple of months and voila bang you had a you had a different player you had a a more efficient striker in somebody that could spring off side traps and when he did would convert a higher percentage of chances yeah. and all of a sudden I was I was scoring a lot of goals. Um, did he know you'd scored that trick in seven minutes? Don't he didn't probably know. <laughs> no, he probably he didn't he need probably, to work on you. He probably still doesn't, but um, <laughs> he would say that would have been a fluke. Yeah, um, one of them was a tap in from about six inches out. Hey, the they all count, but they, they do count. all count, Jason. They do all count. So so I have to pay enormous credit to. Yeah. First of all, Ron Saunders for taking me to West Bromwich Albion, yeah, um, and Stuart Pearson particularly for um, in a chaotic. The club was chaotic at that time. I would say I had nearly five seasons there, and I think I got through five managers. Well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was to become a recurring theme in my career, Jason. Well, I became a bit of a jinx, I think. But um, that's uh, I said. But but Stuart Pearson brought that 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 calmness. To my footballing world, and 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 really, it was a it was at that time where you know I was saying about only ten percent of apprentices go on and have a career. Well, yeah. when I say a career, I don't mean that you know that they don't play professionally again. I mean that they have longevity, a sustained, a sustained, uh, yeah, it's career, a good level, yeah, a good level. And it was only really post Stuart Pearson arriving at West Brom when I was about probably 22, 21, 22, 
that I kind of felt confident enough that I was going to have a, a decent enough career. Yeah. Um, at West Brom, right, you did get through a few managers. There was one we interviewed the other day, actually. What a lovely man he is as well. Ex-Wolves player, Bobby Gould. Yes. Lovely, lovely man, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is. And unfortunately for Bobby, he wouldn't be go down in folklore at West Bromwich Albion because we actually got relegated um, to League One. Um, that was the point that, although I stayed for the first um, few months at West Brom when we were in League One, I, obviously I was scoring a lot of goals, yeah. uh, lots of clubs looking at me. Um, it was only really a matter of time before I left West Bromwich Albion for for my career really yeah. Um, and Bobby Gould unfortunately was the the, the, the the manager when I left West Brom um, to go join Sunderland he, he was the manager he did call and say that I really really don't want you to go um, I got on really really well with Bobby um, he was an acquired taste some players loved him some players not like all of us yeah. uh, you know um, but it was tough he had a tough time at West Bromwich Albion and um in difficult circumstances where with respect to the players that were there as a collective we weren't we weren't getting results we weren't we were underachieving mm. we, we certainly should have been surviving in the championship um, but yeah uh, Bobby I will always have uh, time and respect and love for Bobby Gould he's a lovely lovely man <clears throat> um, big move then to Sunderland uh, £900,000. What was interesting about this, Don, I remember you signing for Sunderland and I remember, and you'll remember it, um, when the FA Cup final was an FA Cup final at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and <clears throat> 10 o'clock in the morning they'd be getting on the couch, having their breakfast, blah de blah and you'd see it all. And that, that was how I want to remember FA Cup finals. You was actually cup-tied for that final and I remember uh, you was on BBC going through the team uh, I mean my claim to fame <laughs> that's it you know you've made it when yeah, you do that you, you do so really it's bittersweet for you because you couldn't play in the cup final but it was I suppose it was great to be part of it wasn't it it was, it was great I went to every game home and away and there was a lot of travelling actually because they went away and beat West Ham uh, well, or yes beat West Ham yeah. and then went to Chelsea in the quarterfinals drew brought them back to Roker Park and won I think earlier earlier in the uh, run, I think they'd beaten Oxford. But I went to literally every game and celebrated. And for the FA Cup, I was a fan, um, which meant I was on the lash, to be fair. <laughs> so, so Every cloud. That's what I remember. Um, it was an incredible run. And I didn't, at any point, with one exception, feel sorry for myself about the fact that I'd played against Marlowe for West Bromwich Albion in the first round, a game that we'd won 6-0. And that was cost, <sighs> costing me a chance to be a part of this brilliant run all the way to the final. Um, I celebrated it um, but in the semi-final was at Hillsborough and I remember going out just two minutes before the players and I remember looking to my right and seeing a sea of red and white striped shirts the noise that was coming from there and just for that 30 seconds I felt a little bit sorry for myself yeah I would um, but the boys did the business Johnny yeah. Byrne scored the winner they beaten uh, Norwich in the semi-final. Yeah, of Johnny Byrne scored a lot of goals. Didn't he, he scored in every round. round. He every scored, round. He scored in every single round, and he had a chance in the final against <sighs> Liverpool that at nil-nil that um, he, he you'd put money on him to take. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a remarkable time. Um, bear, I mean, bearing in mind, I was I, I joined in the December. 
and I'd hit the ground running. I, I just sco- started scoring goals. goals. Sorry, we're going to talk about your debut. Yeah, man. Don't we'll come back that. to that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll I come back to that. I didn't score in that. I scored on my home <laughs> debut. Um, but yeah, I, I, I ended up I ended up top scorer in, in just from being there from December to May. I ended up being the top league scorer. Um, put on half a stone because I think I discovered real ale up there as well. But that didn't matter because I was banging the ball in the back yeah. of the net. Um, but no, just a brilliant, brilliant time. And um, the FA Cup final was actually on my birthday, May the 9th. Oh, really? May the 9th, 1992, yeah. Yeah, because I know you've got a lot of affection with the the, the Northern Sunderland people. You, oh yeah, you, yeah, because they are great people, aren't they? It's a religion to them, football. Again, it's a, something else that I really struggle to put into words. Every football club supporters are passionate. Yeah. Um, up there, it, it, it's it's more than passion. It's a religion. It's 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 you know it's hard to put into words until you've yeah. experienced it. Yeah. Um, and they took they took to me straight away, and yeah. they chanted my name, put me on a pedestal, had t-shirts made about me, Big Bad Don, don't mess with me, Jason. Uh, still <laughs> Big Bad Don. Big Bad Don, I've still got a t-shirt up, up, upstairs somewhere. Um, Brilliant. But no, fond fond memories, with the exception of my debut. Right, so, <laughs> I, I didn't want to mention this, Don. So, I'll tell you a little backstory to this. Don made his debut for Sunderland versus Wolves at Molyneux, and it was at a time when I was young naive and I used to stand outside the ground getting autographs and it was when the old Waterloo Road stand was there dilapidated stand and I remember the Sunderland coach pulling up everyone getting off I was there in a little autograph book and then I, I actually had a, a, a little poster for you to sign and uh, at the match magazine which you was in a West Brom kit why I was doing it I don't know what was I thinking <laughs> of and next thing you know all you heard was as soon as you got off the coach Albion reject Albion reject and it was just ringing and look, I thought, hey listen that's just a kind chance oh, do you know what I felt <laughs> the really chance sh- you can air on a podcast <laughs> there were some other ones I felt really sorry for you Don but not mm. to the point when I nearly got the poster and pulled it away I ain't getting any sign <laughs> but there was listen there was berating you and you then went on the pitch and your debut didn't get any better did it Don no, it wasn't like I played bad or anything. Well, no, really. no. It was um, <laughs> circumstance. You, you know, you get off the bus, and from the minute you get off the bus, you, you're getting dogs abuse. In the warm up, you're getting dogs abuse. You start the game uh, within a, literally the first five minutes. You're not down to ten men. One of your teammates hasn't been sent off. You're down to to nine men. Yeah. Two of your teammates have been sent off. Um, John Byrne and Gordon Armstrong, and you're like thinking, what the heck, you know, where is the worst place I could be right now as a former West Bromwich Albion player? Yes, it is Molyneux, and here I am with uh, 85 minutes to go, nine men against 11, uh, getting dogs abuse. And, and in those days, Don, if I'm right, it was two subs, so, I'm saying the squad sizes were limited, and you they were already were, down yeah. to nine men. Yeah, they were. Um, and I remember being instructed because I was pretty decent in the air, and I used to. St- I went and stood on the um, one of the wings, and the Sunderland goalkeeper Tony Norman was instructed to hit me. I was instructed by Dennis Smith, the manager, to head for touch and then yeah. get back behind the ball, and we did that for the next <laughs> eighty-four minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then in the very last minute, my mate Paul Cook, Cookie, one yeah. of a left foot smashed one in from 30 yards oh. into the top stanchion and, and and we'd nearly held out and then that was still laugh about that now really with Cookie um, but yeah there it is <laughs> my, my debut for Sunderland as if it was bad enough having to go there to Molyneux 
Um, but to be down to nine men after uh, five minutes was uh, was pretty harsh, really. Well, and then you actually did come back to Molyneux, so three successful years at Sunderland, and then it was in the December of 1994, £1.1 million, and you signed the same day as John DeWolf, I believe. I did, indeed. Oh. Um, and I'll correct you on that. It oh. £1.2 million. Oh, right, okay. With £200,000 in add-ons that was paid after... The first 20 appearances oh, right. and the next 20 appearances. So it's actually 1.4 million. Ah. Uh, but there isn't a, 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 a paper or anywhere on the website that will yeah. reflect that. So it was always, for some reason, put down one, as 1. Yeah, 1. yeah, yeah. It actually was 1.4. All right, okay. Um, which is by the by, really. I don't even know why I'm telling everybody that. Because it's, it's, it's even worse value now, Doc. <laughs> even worse value. And, People will uh, will have forgotten about that within five minutes, I'm sure, anyway. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, I thought at that particular time it was a huge signing for Wolves. We'd, we'd recently signed, or the year before, uh, Jeff Thomas, David Kelly, Kevin Keane. And I really Tony thought... Tony Daly, Steve Yeah, Froggy. Tony Daly. And, and, yeah, so uh, that, and listen, brought them in. And that's the... As a footballer, you aspire to play at the highest level possible. And I was sure that the vehicle that would take me to the Premier League was Wolverhampton Wanderers with that squad and yeah. that team. You know, Bully up front, David Kelly, Jeff Thomas in midfield, you know, Good team. Froggy on the left wing, Dale's on the right wing. Striker's dream. Crosses <laughs> are going to rain in. I loved I loved a cross. I loved getting on the end of a cross yeah. and heading the ball. And it was tailor-made for me. Um, Good manager I, as well. Great, great manager. Everything. manager. And, and again, another influence. He was able to influence me even... Beside the fact that I was an established, experienced pro by then, he still held a room. When you walked in a room and Graham Taylor was in that room, there was this aura around him and this yeah. respect exuded. Don't get me wrong, there would be players that played for Wolves that didn't like Graham Taylor because mm. they weren't in the team. Yeah. Um, they clashed. And really, he's the last person you want to be clashing with because yeah. there's only one winner, yeah. really. But yeah, he was a disciplinarian. He was strict. But if you did it for him... He would back you to the hill, yeah. As illustrated by the Brian Law nicking a bus, yes. thing, you know. You wasn't um, on the bus, was you, Dan? No, no. But could, <laughs> I, I very could easily have been. I, I for I've once in my life, I'd been a good boy and gone home <laughs> in a taxi at a reasonable time. Yeah, um, but but <sighs> but the support that 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 Graham Taylor gave Brian, without Graham Taylor, Brian Law would have gone to prison. I've got no hesitation in saying that. Yeah. But um, you know, so yeah. Great squad, great manager. I was absolutely certain um, that I was going to be a Premier League player the following season. And obviously, I did sign with John DeWolf. Um, great character. Um, the pictures of me, me and him on that yeah. day. And the little wolfy teddy bear. And the little wolfy teddy bear. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we ended up sort of living in the Mount Hotel for a, a few months together as well. So I got to know him. So the bar got drunk dry. Got to know him pretty well. Yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah. He was a... <laughs> He, he, he was a shots man, Wolfie. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a shots man. He liked to shot this this Dutch liqueur or something. I can't I can't even remember what. Not Advocar, is he? Not Advocar. That's a that's a manager, Dick. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, great. <laughs> um, what one of the early disappointments, I suppose, for you was the the, the playoffs against Bolton, where we we, we won two one at home, um, and then Luke, Luke. I mean, I went to the away leg. Well, I went to both legs, but I remember going away and losing, and it was just. I mean, what's it like as a player, Don? Where you've worked hard all season, you've had a great season, you you know you've got enough firepower to get it over the line, mm. and all that hard work's undone in one game. 
I think I can honestly say, and, and this, is, this is on reflection now, so this is me reflecting on my whole career on events that happen on the football pitch. Yes. Obviously, the Bradford fire yes. will supersede any sadness yes. that football or life yes. has ever brought to my door. But in terms of football, I'd been relegated with West Bromwich Albion and it hurt and it stung yeah. because I loved that club and I still love that club and I know Wolves fans don't want to hear that on this particular podcast. But Hang on, I'm going to edit it. I would be... Yeah, <laughs> delete, delete, it, yeah. rewind. So, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. But it's, 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 it's part of you. Like, Wolves are part of me, you know. West Bromwich, I can't just erase it. It's, no. it's a part of me, you know. No. And I don't apologise for that. Um, so getting relegated with them stung, but this stung more. And some would sort of question, well, why really? Because I was sure, as I've said, I was going to be a Premier League player with Wolves. Yes. Yeah. Because of how that first leg went at yeah. Molyneux, where it was the biggest stuffing, regardless of the 2-1 scoreline. Shilton in goal, out of retirement, remarkable. He was 56 that day. Uh, he was 72, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> and, you know, we hit the woodwork five times, I believe. I hit it twice, I know, with a header and a, and a, a left foot thunderbolt, which I, that's about the only time in my career I hit a left foot thunderbolt. Um... It was a game we should have won five, six, or seven. And the tie was done, sight. and we won two one. And then we all know what happened in the in the return leg. <laughs> yeah, um, one nil. The fact that John McGinley who shouldn't have been on the pitch yeah. for headbutting David Kelly yeah. was on the pitch because the referee didn't have the courage of his convictions to do the right thing. Yeah. The fact that he scored both the goals, one in normal time and the, the, one, the one in extra time, is just rubbed salt into the wounds. But the overriding thing is that I wasn't a Premier League player and that I was a Championship player. And the disappointment yeah. of that, I'm not, I'm not too proud to say I shed a tear on the pitch, sunk to my haunches, sat there for what felt like forever. Yeah, I just couldn't believe what had just happened. And I'm convinced we would have won the final as well. Oh yeah, the way we put, I'm convinced we would have won the final, but. Um, it wasn't to be, um, but that was unbelievably sad. And of course, that spilled over into the following season, the sadness. We, we didn't get over it. You still see it now. Yeah. Teams struggle to lose a playoff and start the next season. And, and the, of the ones that do, and there have been a couple of examples, actually, um, Leeds United are the latest, latest one this season. Yeah. I can't tell you how much admiration I've got for Bielsa and those players for picking themselves yes. up when they were probably the best team in that league yeah. ended up in the playoffs um, ended up losing the playoffs to yeah. Derby yeah. Um, of and having teams. to go out of all teams having to go away I can't tell you how hard it is and so you know I salute them for doing that Yeah. Um, but it definitely affected us at the start of the following season we didn't get off to a great start and by October I think Graham Taylor had had gone, and I th- I, to this day, I still tell Wolves fans and anybody that wants to know, it's one of the biggest mistakes Wolverhampton oh. Wolves have ever made. Um, unfortunately, the fans turned. Yeah, the chairman wasn't strong enough to ride out the storm, and Graham Taylor left for Watford, who were then in League One. <laughs> they got them promoted to the Championship, and then the go. very next season got them promoted to the Premier League. And, and be careful what you wish for. Absolutely. Um, one stat which. Um, you, you, I don't know if you're particularly proud of this. I know Mr. Steve Ball probably wouldn't be. You did, I mean, look, Steve Ball from, I believe it was 86, 87, had been top scorer at the club. 86, 87, 87, 88, all the way through to 95, 96. You ended Steve Ball's league goal scoring record. It finished Steve Ball 15, 
Don Goodman 16. I hope he's going to listen to this. Is that all? God dear. (laughs) Chuck the cup goals in there as well. Yeah, chuck the cup goals. Yeah, twenty-one. twenty-one. You know. I mean, look, you know, it's not. And and this is the difference between different strikers. I couldn't have told you that. I couldn't have told you how many goals I got that year. Yeah. I know it was decent. Um, I know it probably should have been better um, because I think um, I think by the end of October I, I was already well in double figures, so yeah. it probably should have been should have been better. Um, but I didn't live to score goals. I yeah. just wasn't that way inclined. I was a team player. Uh, got a lot of pleasure out of just knocking one down for Bully to have a tap in. Yeah. Or, or, or whatever, really. Um, Bully was born to score goals, mm. and that record bears itself out. Um, I mean, Steve was was revered at Wolves, and he scored a lot right of goals so. in it. And and obviously, you come along and then you know um, t- t- took that 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 uh, record off him that one yeah. season. I think in his in his it, in his defence, I think he probably was suffering with a few injuries that season as well. Otherwise, he probably would have finished that well, score. So it, I mean, I don't know. I'm just the point I was getting to, Donny. How, how good was he? I mean, you're a striker. You, you know, how good was he? The best part of Steve Ball was his mind. Yeah, his mindset, his determination, his will to stick that ball in the back of the net, and it overrid everything. And he knew that in doing that, he was winning games of football for yeah. Wolverhampton Wanderers. And he won many, many, many a game of football yeah. for Wolverhampton Wonders. So he had this single-minded determination. It's a rare thing, um, just to compare him, not in style of play, but in single-minded determination to a modern-day player that people can relate to, particularly the younger ones that yeah. won't remember how good Bully was. Mo Salah is... He, see, the other night against um, Arsenal, Diogo Jota... Wolves' former player yeah. was about to open his account for Liverpool and Mo Salah was not having any of it. He took yeah. it off him. Yeah. I don't know if you watch the game. He's got this obsession with scoring goals. Yeah. Sometimes it's to his detriment in terms of, you know, if Arsenal, he should pass. if Arsenal had gone on to equalise or even win that game, I would have looked at that moment where the selfishness yeah. and the single-mindedness of uh, Mo Salah took over yes. the benefit of the team um, in his desire to get the ball and stick it in the back of the net. Fortunately, Jota got a goal later on in that game and that was all good and Liverpool went on to win. But what I'm saying is I'm comparing that single-mindedness yes. of sticking the ball in the net to Steve and George Bull. Yeah. And and it's, um, it's a skill. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. It's yeah. a strength. It's a strength that drove Bully on and it drives Mo Salah on. I mean, what was interesting, Don, when... <laughs> Just before the interview, um, I'll give you stats. I said, look, Don, 39 goals in 154 appearances. Is that right? And you said, you know, he was no quite idea. honest in yeah, no idea. <clears throat> Whereas some players, uh, they can get quite precious about it. And I get it. I get it. But No idea. If you, I mean, they weren't collecting data on assists and things in the Well, exactly, because you'd have got a few of them. That would have been pretty, much more impressive than the... Um, than the goals tally, to be fair. Oh, um, I'd be And the... The fact that I played on the right wing um, for the first six yes. months as well, um, and I played out of position under Mark McGee plenty yeah. of time. So I never really played as an out-and-out striker. In fact, the one year that I did get a run as an out-and-out striker was the year that I ended up topping the scoring charts, really. Winner. You know, it's about the team and it's about the end goal. And the end goal for me was getting Wolverhampton Wanderers and getting Don Goodman into the Premier League. Yeah. Sadly, it never materialised. 
John, quite uh, an important Talk well, sad time once again. I don't know how to fracturing your squad against, uh, your squad against Huddersfield. I mean, once again, I was at that game. Um, just, just, just talk us through what happened. Well, it was me being me. Typically, I, I flung myself um, to try and head a ball goalwards that I was never in a million years <laughs> going to get. Yeah, and you know, if it was one out of a million, I was going to fling myself. Yeah, and. Hope to be that one. Of course, I wasn't. Um, I was the other nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I cracked. I smashed heads with um, Huddersfield fullback Steve Jenkins. I think I actually knocked him out. I was conscious, but um, I remember the almighty rattle in my head. It's like you know, you say you can literally feel your brain shake. I literally felt my brain shake. Wow. Um, it wasn't a good thing, um, but I'd clashed heads. Yeah, thousands of times. So I wasn't really thinking about it. In fact, when the physio came on, um, I told him to have a look at my arm because I, could, I thought I'd landed on awkwardly on my arm. And he was looking at my arm. And then when you have a clash of heads, your natural human nature says, oh, I'll just feel for blood. So I stuck yeah, yeah, my yeah. hand on my head to feel for blood. There was no blood, but there was a big hole in my head where the, the skull had um, oh, caved in. God. So I said to our physio, Barry, I said, look, actually forget my arm. <laughs> Just have a quick look at my head. He had a look at my head, went white as a sheet, and I thought, oh dear, this is serious. And of course, the reason that I thought it was my arm uh, was because I was I was paralysed all down my right-hand side, paralysed leg, paralysed arm, because my brain was literally pressed. Uh, my skull was compressed on that left side of my brain, which controls the right side of your body. So that's why I... Um, that's why I thought it was my arm and that's why when I tried to get up because I didn't want to get on a stretcher I fell straight over and, and heard the gasps of the people that were that were in Molyneux that day so yeah. that was, that's the events of of the actual time that it happened uh, again like I said I was conscious uh, my wife at the time was eight and a half months pregnant oh. um, my son Curtis was uh, what was he he would have been th- uh, three and she as an eight and a half month pregnant yeah. Mother, expecting mother, had to follow the ambulance to hospital and, you know, try and make it as fun as possible for the my little boy who uh, was like, oh, we're following the ambulance, blue lights, through traffic lights, this, you know, one of those. And um, got to hospital, actually had a fit, or what they classed as a, as a fit. My fingers started shaking, hands started, arms started shaking. I didn't know any of this, Don. Yeah, then my cheeks started twitching and it was all the pressure of that skull on the brain. Um, at that moment I thought I was dying probably one of the few times in life where you actually think yeah. this is it and I was thinking about my unborn little girl would I ever oh, see her blah 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 God. I was thinking about my son I was thinking about my ex-wife I was thinking about all yeah. the things and this fit lasted probably no more than 20 seconds but it felt like a lifetime I'll really bet, and it I'll was bet. painful and I'm good with pain but it was to this day it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced um, thankfully they injected me with something or other it seized and the doctor explained why told me what they were going to do drill four holes in my skull lift it up ease the pressure and i would uh, i would recover whether i'd play football or not was another was that okay how was you out for done six, six months six months mm. i mean what um <clears throat> 97 98 your uh, leeds born leeds supporter i believe growing up um walls drew uh, Premier League club uh, in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Leeds at Elland Road, 39,000 there. Now, 
obviously Don it must be a huge occasion for you because you, you'd actually been a, you told me earlier a ball boy as well growing up at Leeds yes um, another club in my heart although you wouldn't think think so with <laughs> comments that the Leeds fans that the opinions of the Leeds fans have of me at my Sky Sports punditry don't worry about that it's nothing personal I can assure every Leeds fan um, I've got to say what I see yes um, uh, but getting back to the game um, yeah I just I would have walked to Ellen Road and played for Leeds United for nothing. That was my team. I, I paid my 50p to stand on the terraces back in the day. Then got to be a ball boy for a couple of years while I was 13, 14. Um, desperately wanted to play for Leeds. Had been close, actually. Howard Wilkinson tried to sign me three times, I believe, when I was at West Brom and Sunderland for a lot of money. Um, but it just never materialised, unlike in modern football where you, you the player and the agent, make it happen don't you a move yes. like that you just make it happen rightly or wrongly um, so it was a huge game I played against Leeds several times I'd always scored against <laughs> Leeds it was it was as if by magic I would always score against Leeds United um, we went there that was in an era where George Graham was Leeds manager Leeds were a top six yeah. Premier League team they had Harry Great, Kewell sorry. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank yeah. internationals everywhere and um the actuality is we weren't really given much of a, t- a chance. We were in the yeah. middle of the championship. We weren't having an amazing season by any stretch of the imagination. And Leeds were heavy, heavy favourites. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, I know Wolves fans have a um, a dislike or maybe, a, a, you know, don't particularly like Mark McGee, but he did, he pulled the master stroke on that particular day. On that day he, he did. Played, he played three, three central defenders. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, you know, almost four across the middle and three of us to press them uh, up front. You know, when when Leeds had the ball, the, the two wide lads, I was one of them, would, would just drop back and make it difficult in that midfield area. And it, and it worked an absolute an absolute treat. And then the goal. Then the goal, yeah. Yeah. Um, the way I describe it when I'm speaking at events is um, there was a bit of interplay between Carl Robinson and Dougie Friedman in the midfield area um, Carl Robinson ended up on the ball I made a run inside the then Irish international fullback Ian Hart yes the ball was played by Carl Robinson slightly yeah. overhit, but I was quick so yeah, I made a yeah, ball, yeah. a good ball sorry Carl <laughs> uh, I drew the then England international goalkeeper Nigel Martin off his line dinked right. my big toe yeah. under the ball and chipped it into the far corner of the net not that I can remember much about no, it Jason, no, to be- <laughs> I, can't really, I mean look I'm still visioning that in my mind now and mm. another vision actually from that game was um you was actually, I saw a video the other day, when Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank headbutted Keith Curl, and Keith Curl, you could see the anger in his face, and he, and he grabbed... Grabbed him around the throat. And then you was there. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, this can't happen. There's going to be a murder. Yeah, there thinking. is. Um, that, that game, you're quite right, Mark McGee did pull off a masterstroke, uh, but in the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal... He didn't pull off a masterstroke. He didn't pull off, and I was there once again, uh, Villa Park, um, he put Claridge up front, Steve Claridge, nothing wrong with Steve Claridge, look, you know... You, well, he's, he's <laughs> brought a lot of players in in the, in, in, the, in the winter, just before transfer deadline day, so I think in those days it was still March, wasn't it? End yes. of March, so... For the final few games of the season, he brought a, he, he brought a lot of players in. Three or four players came in through the door. Um, and when you bring players in, it's usually it's to play them, to be fair. So, Steve Bull and Robbie Keane on the bench. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's, they're huge calls. And if yeah. they come off, everybody goes, Oh, yeah, look. Wow, amazing. We're doing that one now, Steve Claridge. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it, 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 it just didn't work out. Yeah. Look, let's, let's, let's throw another element into the mix. Arsenal were the best team in England. Oh, they were? They won the league. That, that they particular went, oh, day, they, 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 they were unbelievably good. They were way too good for us. And it was a 1-0 battering in the end. And whether Wolves fans like it or not, probably 99 times out of 100, regardless of who Wolves and Mark McGee put on the pitch, that Arsenal team would win that game of football. Yeah. So, so that's just to, just to put a bit of realism on it. But our cause wasn't helped by tactics, by team selection. Um, he dragged me off. I, th- I think Ron Atkinson was commentating that day, nearly fell over, he told me... You know, I was literally the only one causing them any yeah. any problems in that game. Yeah. Um, you know, but they won easily, with the exception of the first the ten minutes after half time. Um, we had a bit of a go and asked a few questions of David Seaman and Tony yeah. Adams and Martin Keown and the, that amazing defence. Just made it a little bit uncomfortable for ten minutes, but yeah. apart from that, they, were, they had a big cigar on. They were cruising, um, but the fact that he took me off again was. A mystery, really, because I was the one, you know. I think there's causing, a lot of mystery causing problems. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is what it is. <clears throat> we did amazing to get to that semi-final. It yeah. was a great experience. I'll never forget, you know, the Wolves fans that day. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was a great day. Obviously, tinged with sadness, the fact that you couldn't go on to Wembley and get Sir Jack to an FA Cup final, yeah, which is which... all he'd, all he'd ever wanted. Which was his dream. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to d- d- go through the rest of the clubs you played for, apart from he did leave Wolves in a very interesting move um, to go to Japan. Don, what took you to Japan? <laughs> <laughs> Can we say? Long story short, um, my contract was up. Um, it's not a secret that Mark McGee and I clashed, didn't particularly see eye to eye, weren't best friends. Contract was up. He elected not to uh, renew me, despite the fact that at the end of that season, I actually went on a scoring spree and scored plenty of goals and the fans were singing, sign him up, sign him up. Um, It it was never going to happen, really. Um, I was 32 at that time. Um, And basically the Japanese club, Sanfreche Hiroshima, which I won't ask you to repeat. (laughs) Yeah. They had seen my performance in that FA Cup quarter-final because that was a game that was beamed around the world. Wow. And when they became aware that I was... um, It just started, the Bosman scenario had just started, so they wouldn't have to pay any money for me. I was, in essence, a free transfer. They became very interested, reached out to me, said, would you be interested? I plucked a stupid number out of the air and said, well, it's going to take something like that, thinking that they'd go, well, sorry, but anyway... Was it in Japanese yen? Was it? Oh yeah, (laughs) multi-millionaire in Japanese yen. Brilliant. And uh, quite frankly, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Yeah. And sold me a a project because bearing in mind the World Cup was going to Japan and South Korea in two thousand and two. Japan was in a big push to get football really, really popular, and 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 they had a lot of Brazilian um, players. international Brazilian players playing in the in the uh, J-League at the time. Uh, Zico, I think, was even managing. So, um, yeah, so it was a no-brainer. We 
me and my two kids and my ex-wife, we, we went on the adventure and, um, and went out there. What yeah. a great, remarkable life experience. Football was a better standard than I anticipated. Unfortunately, yeah. I, got, I ripped my hamstring after the second game. I'd scored on my debut. Um, was playing well in the second game, tore my hamstring and was out for, for three months, unfortunately, which um, I still feel guilty to guilty about not that I could do anything about yeah. it but they were paying me a lot of money and I wasn't really I wasn't out there on the pitch which is where I wanted to be and where they wanted me to be so but a great great life experience and I remember you saying you was fitter than you'd ever been wasn't you <coughs> the, uh, the the um, what the altitude, yeah it, well it's not altitude it's humidity for, humidity, those, that, for those that don't know Japan it, it, it's a warm country but the humidity is what makes it hot and yeah. sticky out there and yeah if you get yourself acclimatized to that and get fit and I did um, just as I embraced all Japanese tradition like bowing and taking my shoes off and every tradition there was even learning the language I did really well I was proud of myself two hours every day I studied Japanese so that I could come on John give us a bit of Japanese uh, yeah I'll have one of them please you know what that means I will <laughs> translate for you it, it was a phrase I used whenever I was in a taxi on my way home after a few beers with the lads and it means Mr. Taxi Driver could you please turn right at the next traffic lights <laughs> there you go let's <laughs> go round in circles oh, brilliant so um, yeah I got myself super fit um and obviously, when I came back, I, I felt a million dollars. To be fair, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Now, uh, you you do now. I'm not chucky little joking. You work for Sky. You've fitted two dishes this week. <laughs> you, uh, you you actually you very very respected Sky Sports pundit. And you, I mean, how long have you been doing it for now, Don? I think we're into fourteenth season now. Joe. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. time flies. Love it. it. Absolutely love it. Um, here you and I are speaking across. I've got a game to cover tonight. Yeah. For those that think you just turn up and... I'm going to say, you're doing you, all your prep there, just the prep like I have. Absolutely done, yeah, yeah. And um, I absolutely love it. I love the variety of it. I love... Um, I still love football. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that it's almost a different sport. Not a different sport, but a different game. Tactics yeah. are different. Everybody played 4 4 The rules are definitely played, different. You know, it was a physical sport. Yeah where you had to withstand the physical aspects of, of, of the challenge from your opponents. It's a it's a different game now. But it's not a game that I love any less. And yes. that some, some old players and ex-players go, oh, I don't like it anymore, blah, blah, blah. I know it's about moving with the times, you know. And, and the variety of formations and tactics. And footballers are more technically gifted now. Yeah. There's no yeah. question. But defenders don't love defending as much as they used to in those days. Yeah. Um, but... We can talk about VAR. We ain't got long enough. We ain't got long enough. (laughs) Is it right? No. Is it here to stay? Yes. Um, It's going to be part of the fabric, so we've all got to get used to it. It's a work in progress. Um, But it gives us talking points and it gives us controversy. And uh, that's as fans and as the media and journalists and just people that generally love football. That's what keeps the passion. Yeah. is what happens on the pitch, the results we get, how we're playing. Do we like the manager? Do we like the players? You know, do we like the referees? Do we like VAR? Do we like the new handball scenario? No. Um, and as I say, I feel blessed to yeah. still be part of 
Sky Sports, who I consider the greatest sports broadcaster on planet Earth. I think they've revolu- rev- revolutionised After sport. the Wolf Whistle podcast, that Obviously, is. go without saying. Um, I'm going to chuck a little quick <coughs> story in, Don, before uh, I ask you your abiding memory of your time at Wolf. So I'll give you a little time to think about it. But um, Don had a birthday party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when was it, Don? What year was it? <coughs> It's about six or seven years ago. So Don had a birthday party six or seven <coughs> years ago. Got invited along and I thought, what can make it interesting for Don? So I went into the loft and I dug my old walls kit out. And um, so I had the, the, the socks, the shorts, the shirt. It was the actual um, Goodyear shirt that Don had wore when he was at the club. And then I got a, a big curly wig and I drew a moustache on. And uh, so I got to Don's house dressed as Don Goodman. And you missed a bit out. What, which bit? You blacked your face. Well, you? well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's not politically correct well, anymore. Yes, um, but I'm a big believer where race is concerned that I need to tell people what offends me, not have somebody tell me what I should be offended by. So, well, I'm glad you've made that I point. I Don. found it hilarious, and I mean, you know, I, it wasn't done with a single bit of racial connotation. It was done for a laugh, and it worked mate because we all thought it was hilarious and I thought it was hilarious which is that's good because the funny bit was so yes I I, Lucy my wife at the time put fake tan on me and I remember going there sweating thinking is this a good idea is this a good idea is this a good idea and then I remember getting to the door dressed as Don Goodman knocking Don Goodman's door and Don Goodman's sister who I've never (laughs) met before in my life answered the door and she went oh hello and I went oh yeah I'm here for Don's party and she went come in come in and there was a, uh, she said, oh, Don's at the shop, he's just getting some beer. So I had this ridiculously awkward <laughs> conversation for 10 minutes with Don's sister, dressed as Don Goodman. I didn't mention it. She didn't mention it. <laughs> and I'm just standing there and she goes, oh, so where do you live? Oh, what, what do you do for work? And we're having this conversation, being dressed as Don. Then Don walks in and <laughs> fell on the floor laughing. Oh, yeah. Don. So, Absolutely so that was my abiding yeah. memory of you. Uh, and chanting Albion reject, um, yeah. but if you could, could I mean, look, we don't have to, to to limit this to Wolves. If you can look back on your career and you've got one abiding memory that that in when times are hard or you you know that you can look at with great pride, whether it at Wolves or not at Wolves, what do you look back at? No, I, no, I, 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 this is a Wolves podcast. I will, I will, I will give you an example of the Wolves thing. But yeah. I had unbelievable memories. You know, I had. As good a career as is possible without actually playing in the Premier League, and that's a slight regret because there were yeah. there were probably six to eight bids from Premier League clubs to take me there. But it was in an era where once a bid was rejected, you just got on with it as a player. Yes, um, I knew I was good enough to play in the Premier League and score goals in the Premier League. It wasn't an issue. But I played for some wonderful, wonderful clubs. Obviously, West Bromwich Albion, Sunderland, and Wolves were my three biggest clubs. But yeah. I had a brilliant time at Walsall. Won a playoff yeah, final yeah, at the Millennium yeah. with Walsall still to this day up there with the best moments yeah. of my career so but let's focus on the Wolves one and obviously we've talked about it mate scoring the winner in the court final at Ellen Road yeah um, against Leeds United in a, as an underdog um, against all the odds uh, and it is the thing that Wolves fans talk to me the most yeah. about there are three things there was David Kelly's diving header on match of the day Leicester oh, against Leicester what, what a makes goal. it what made it better was Mark McGee was Leicester manager at the time but yes uh, <laughs> now I'm only joking Mark if you're listening <laughs> um, great goal 
from one of their corners, me and David Kelly went the length of the pitch and he scored a wonderful diving head. I think it won goal of the month on match of the day. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one thing. The penalty shootout against Sheffield Wednesday oh, where God, Waddle missed the penalty. Yeah, we were 3-0, yeah. 3-0 down yeah. um, in the penalty shootout and won it and scoring the winning penalty. Yes. Um, and I don't think the annals of history will show that as that has ever been done before, that no. somebody is 3-0 down in a penalty shootout and wins it. I was in the stand. Yeah. People were leaving. <clears throat> exactly. Going 3-0 down. So that's another thing. And of course, the big thing that people talk about is 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 that game at Ellen Road yeah. the quarterfinal of the FA Cup people talk to me about the hostility from Leeds fans afterwards yeah. throwing yeah. bricks yeah. at the coaches yeah. and running to get away from being hurt um, but celebrating like there was no tomorrow that we were in the semi-final uh, a, a local cycle shop actually knocked on my door the following morning and presented me with a brilliant mountain bike that I've still got uh, a yellow mountain bike it's I for sale now like he's, no it's, it's, <laughs> It's a memento. Wow. And he, he said, this is for making the whole of Wolverhampton very happy and very, very proud. I tried to say, I can't take it. Honestly, it's a lovely gesture. He went, no, please. He said, I'd, I'd be gutted if you... I went, okay. So you I've still, mountain bike still? So I've still got it. Yeah. I've still got it. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm actually looking at it. You are actually looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, those are the three things. So um, the one thing I must do... <clears throat> before we close this down is apart from my rumbly throat yeah. um, apologies for that <clears throat> is thank the Wolves fans because from the minute I got to that football club you've already spoke about the abuse I got on my Sunderland debut the abuse yeah. I got when I went there in the blue and white stripes yes these supporters Wolves supporters took me into their hearts and they gave me a chance yeah. to play for them and then they judged me on what I did for them and they sang my name and they still come up and want photos and pictures and autographs and make me feel good about my time at Wolverhampton Wanderers. So to you Wolves fans listening to this out there, this is a personal thank you right. from me to you. Because it would have been easy to think Albion reject, yeah. not give me a chance. I didn't score in the first seven games. You could have got on my back, you didn't. And um, I'll be forever grateful that Wolves wow. fans took me into their hearts and gave me that opportunity and that's lovely words done so from me I, I want to thank you as well for, for, for being there for me at a difficult time during my life as well um, as a friend and I do really and truly appreciate that and thank you for representing our great club thank you for giving us great memories and thank you for coming on the Wolf Whistle podcast my pleasure cheers Dan cheers buddy <laughs>